It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy and my topless, adorably <laughs> topless friend, Look, Nathan A. Clark. They, Hello, Nathan. They can't see that, and they didn't need to know it. <laughs> Mate, if I have to know it, they have to know it. That's, that's <laughs> the rule, I'm afraid. Uh, we are also joined by the good people from Wheeler Dealer Radio. Greg, can I hand over to you to introduce yourself and your fellow podcasters? Thank you. Yes, it's it's always uh, it's all I'm always delighted how polite our colonizers are over there. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's the Wheeler Dealer Radio crew. I'm I'm Greg, the host of Wheeler Dealer Radio. Uh, I am joined by Brian Ashlock. Brian, say hello to the people. Hey guys, um, my hair is pretty hot over there, so um, I'm glad that I could bring some American weather to our joint podcast. And then we have Ben Daniels. Ben, say hello to the people. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm confused. Is this podcast more dangerous or less dangerous than the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast? <laughs> it's six we... people on a Skype call. That's extremely dangerous. <laughs> I, I definitely feel like we've diluted some of your danger, that's for sure. <laughs> or perhaps we're dangerously nerdy. We're, we're definitely that. dangerous. I don't know. I mean, look, if Nathan's webcam slips a little lower, this is <laughs> a much more dangerous podcast. I always wondered what you meant by uh, dangerous. Did you mean like Eric Lamella dangerous or did you mean like Wayne Lineker dangerous? A little bit of column A, a little bit of <laughs> yeah. So we thought it'd be fun to do a joint podcast uh, between between all of us because, uh, well, frankly, I admire the work that We The Dealer Radio does. They're, they're very good and it's the closed season and there's not a great deal to talk about. So we thought it'd be fun. And it was met by surprising levels of enthusiasm by uh, people on Twitter, except for some exceptions, notably Unfit For Purpose, who asks, what fresh hell is this? What do we think, Nathan? What fresh hell is this? Um, it's, there's nothing fresh about the hell that we have divulged into over the last 18 months. And I think that he, he knows that. Uh, Simon knows that very well himself. I agree. I, th- I thoroughly agree. Uh, I think rather than talk about our podcasts, let's talk about Spurs because that's what most people will be interested in. Uh, so what I'm going to do is start by talking about transfer news, like with some kind of clickbaity show. Why not? <laughs> um, 
Huber, sounds sounds like a done deal, right? Ben, how are you feeling about that? I feel fine about it. I know Nathan loves uh, Hoiberg, and I, I think he's very good. I just I am concerned that we are increasingly aging out of our, our peak talent years with a lot of guys, and I would be more excited to see us get signings more in the mold of a Bergvine, you know, younger stars with a lot higher upside at, at to start kind of replacing, um, you know, the minutes of, of the guys that we're losing. That said, we have a phenomenally talented midfield. And if we only start playing Los Celso and Ndombele on the field together, Hoiberg is exactly the guy that can lose that all together and makes it work. And so if that's what it takes to make our midfield sing, then I think it's a phenomenal piece of business. The price is just incredible. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with some reservations. Fair, fair. I think that's very fair. I feel like um, he's a very unspectacular player, but the kind of player that can, like you say, glue things together. I also feel that where we have quite a reactive set of midfielders at the moment in Winks and Sissoko, Hiobe is much more proactive. He's much better at reading the game, I would say, than than both of those players. And so hopefully that will help a little in our midfield, which has been a problem for, what, three years? I don't I don't think it's necessarily going to be the fix, but it's a step in the right direction. Greg, how are you feeling about Huibier's potential transfer? I, I mean, there's two things I like. It's, it honestly makes me nostalgic for some of the signings uh, that we would make back when um, I, I feel like I was first a Spurs fan back in the early 2010s, where it's, it's kind of unspectacular on its face, but it, he, he's very talented, and I feel like he's going to, like you, like you just said, Wendy, he's going to fix a lot of the problems we had, but also I think he's the kind of guy who, like those signings I was talking about, I think he's going to step it up a little bit now that he's playing around better players. He's playing around a guy like Lo Celso and Harry Kane and, you know, hopefully Ndombele. Um, But that's what makes me excited about this signing. It feels like the kind of thing we used to do a lot more of. I could see Nathan's nodding. (laughs) Yeah, no, because like I, I, he's definitely a good player and he's definitely like functional and something that we are desperately in need of. But it's like, um, he's not like a star. He's not like a top of the class player for what he does. So it's, it's a question of, yeah, can he, can he step up another level if he's surrounded by special players? Um, and if he can, then it's a really good transfer. But if he sort of maintains the current level, then it's, it's, it's still good. It's still a decent transfer, but it's not, it's not exhilarating. Yeah. Yeah. And as, as Ben mentioned, the price is kind of too good for Daniel Levy to turn down as well. So that definitely feeds into it in a year where transfers might be difficult getting someone on a relatively low price due to their contract situation seems like a good way forward. So it sounds like after we've got Hjoibier done, we'll move on to our next most crucial positions uh, as Mourinho sees it. And it seems like striker is is high up on his list. Um, Buddy, it sounds as though Callum Wilson is one of the key targets. What do you think of that one? Yeah, it's along the kind of Hjoibier signing, which it's not going to get Nathan stood outside the stadium making a, um, a breaking news kind of of announcement <laughs> it's i mean it'll be okay um the milik is is an interesting thing because i think from looking at the champions league last night i was very surprised he didn't get too many minutes against barcelona and um you and juventus clearly they they need a number nine so i think it, i think a lot will depend on what happens at juve with pirlo now um wilson would be would be fine 
I wouldn't get too excited. Milik would be the far more exciting option, but I don't think I don't think I, I don't think he's too expensive for us, and I just don't see it working alongside Harry Kane. Hmm. Yeah, and then right back, which I think certainly on the extra inch side of things, we would agree is a very high priority. Um, Brian, is that the same for you? Do you feel like right back is an essential? Well, I mean, it's, it's essential if we're selling Walker Peters and Serge Aurier. Um, I, I mean, not that we don't need a fullback anyway, but it's it, it gets bumped up the priority list if you sell all of your recognized right backs. Um, yeah, the problem with the right back position doesn't is to me they don't seem to be a lot of concrete links mm-hmm. right now. Um, it's a lot of paper talk, a lot of rumors on Twitter, and all the guys that we're linked with are just kind of okay. Um, you know, you look at him and you go, yeah, he does play right back. That is, that is <laughs> yeah. a position he plays, you know, and, you know, so the links are, you know, like Max Aarons, who may be good. I, I don't know. Norwich were pretty bad this year. I didn't, he, he wasn't somebody that you looked at on that team and you were like, this, this kid is obviously talented. Um, he wasn't, and, and you know, the other links are... Last night, there was Ainsley Maitland-Niles, which is an incredibly stupid link. Um, and then, you know, there's uh, Zeki Chelik from from Lille, who I, I honestly haven't seen play a lot. But from what I have seen, again, he looks OK. Um, but I'm not I'm not sold that he is significantly an upgrade over over Serge Aurier or, or what we're doing already. Mm-hmm. Nathan, any insight there on Zeki Chelik? Yeah, I've been watching him a little bit. I'm, I'm trying to work on a video piece of him, but my, as I just told you before recording, my computer has just died. So in lieu of that, maybe taking a while while I fix some things. Uh, he is it's a lot like Ben Davies. Um, he's taller. He's more uh, athletic. He puts in more tackles, but on the ball, he's an awful lot like Ben Davies, which is not like a terrible mm-hmm. thing. Um, again, it's like Hoybier, it's like Wilson. It's like, yep, that's decent. That that works, <laughs> but it's not like it doesn't get you out of your seat. And well, like, go on. Well, I was gonna say, Nathan, I, since you're putting together video, I was curious what you thought of this. But when I was watching, or when I have seen him play, and when I've watched some of the highlights of him, his defending to me strikes me as being very odd. I, he he stands. He he's. He's very like erect when he defends. Like he he stands up and then dives into challenges. Does a lot of like little toe poke tackles that put the ball out into touch. And it's, he doesn't really ever seem to get into. I guess if, if we were talking about American sports, like a good like defensive position, like like a basketball defensive position. He doesn't seem to shuttle guys into corners or force them back into pressure. He just seems to be content to stand up, let them come on to him and then make a little toe poke tackle. And I find that very annoying. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's kind of is he he reads quite a lot like a centre half a lot of the time. And I think there's like a, a sort of an Ander Veros kind of comparison there with, with what you're saying and the way he defends and he's super, super passive with things. Um, I went through uh, like his Sly Tackles compilation and there's like a handful over the last year and they're all fouls. So like it's obviously <laughs> that's not like an area where he's he's comfortable. Um, yeah, I like uh, that though. I like a, 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 we've had enough of fullbacks with um, sliding in all over the place. So I quite like a fullback to stay on his feet. It might it might help us reduce the amount of um, free kicks and penalties we give away. You weren't saying <laughs> well, that when Danny Rose was rampaging down the left, sliding in on everyone, were you, buddy? Different, different, mate. That was slide tackles with passion. 
proper English passion. <laughs> yeah, the passion is important. Yeah. I think that's something we should consider when we're looking at a right back, because I think Aurier, from what he does off the pitch to some of the boneheaded stuff he does on the pitch, gets a fairly bad rap from Spurs fans. But And I think we tend to, and sometimes deservedly so, but I think we tend to ignore that he generally does do a lot of things well. And I guess the if I'm... If I was in Spurs player recruitment, you know, the thing that I would have to be considering right now is am I willing to accept a maybe slightly lower level of talent out of my right back if that just means, okay, yeah, he's going to get burned a couple times, but he's not going to, you know, he's not going to concede a dangerous free kick or a penalty. Like, you know, it seems like Aurier is good for about two just unconscionably stupid things in every match. And, you know, are you willing to accept maybe a slightly lower level of right back just to sort of rub that out of our game? Yes. Yeah, I, I think Greg I think Greg is almost t- touching on like the kind of Kieran Trippier thing which we kind of settled on where we had a right back who was okay at crossing okay at defending and wasn't really too much of a liability unless he was up against Sane which most right backs are up against him so yeah maybe we do need to uh, kind of downgrade what we're expecting from this fullback and realise that we're not going to sign a fullback who can do everything so let's just try and get a fullback maybe like Castagne someone like that who who's just not going to be a liability crossing and a liability defending Sure. I, think... I saw Ben's ears prick up when Nathan compared uh, Chelik to Ben Davies. And I thought, or Davis, God, I need to learn how to say his name. Uh, ben Davis. Ben, I'm so what... glad it's not just an American thing. <laughs> the Welsh don't deserve the respect of us yeah. pronouncing their names correctly. So right. that's fine. Sorry if any of you are Welsh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know it's not that he compares to Ben Davis who I'm, or Davies, who I'm not thrilled with. Uh, I don't know. We can get into that later. I guess my issue is Jose has a very specific idea about who his fullbacks are. You know, he has this one reserve defending fullback and one, you know, more adventurous attacking fullback. Um, and the way that attacking fullback plays is is very different than how uh, Pochettino played his fullbacks, which required them to get on the ball early and carry the ball long distances. Um, Whereas Jose, you know, like everything else about his game, like he doesn't really care about anything that happens between the boxes. You know, (laughs) he wants a guy who's going to receive the ball deep in the other half outside the box and like join in the attack and then also not be a problem in defense. And that's a weird set of skills to marry together in a fullback. Um, You know, you look at some guys like Bronislav Ivanovic and Marcus Alonso and Marcelo who who are, you know, kind of the prototypical Jose fullbacks, I think, over the years. And I have no idea who that guy is in, in world football right now. And I don't know how either a left back or a right back, because now it seems like we're not really sure which side is going to be the attacking side. Um, and so I just have a lot of questions about kind of what we're doing in that area altogether and how we're revamping it and where we even find guys like that. And I was wondering if Nathan had any any tactical or player insights about how to like kind of patch those holes. Well, just that like I'm more excited about Shellick if it means that we're then playing Sessegnon in an attacking left-back role. That sort of makes it a more uh, more sort of understandable approach rather than sort of like we're going to play Ben Davies and right foot Ben Davies who's tall <coughs> at the same time and <laughs> never attack with any kind of wit so yeah if it means Sessignon's getting on the pitch then then I'm 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 pretty happy the the other uh right back we've been linked with who I'm kind of excited about uh cuz I'm a bit of a Betis fan is Emerson out of Betis who's co-owned with Barcelona so I'm guessing that transfer is going to be more complicated than we're willing to deal with but it's weird he's very I mean he's a very good attacking fullback having watched some of him I mean he's very dangerous getting forward and he's very fast and it's um I know our uh, dearly departed from Wheeler Dealer Radio, Michael Cayley, was talking about how he just pops all sorts of sort of dangerous numbers in the final third. 
And I would be very excited to get him because I think there's a lot. He's like 20, I think. There's a lot you can sort of dream on there. The problem with Emerson is just, and I don't know how much of it's him and how much of it's Bettis' defense, which has been a tire fire for at least two years now um, under two different managers, is just, you know, I don't know. They just don't have a good defense, and he's certainly been part of that. And I don't know what would happen if you put him around, you know, Toby and a good Eric Dyer or something. It might improve. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but he is definitely someone that, there's a lot of issues with him, but he's certainly someone I think we could dream on a little bit if we got him. The interesting thing about all of these right-back targets or, or reported targets is that they don't all match in terms of their profile. I mean, perhaps Chelik and Castagna do, but Max Aaron's doesn't match up with those two at all. Like he's the, the, Max Aaron's biggest strength is probably his ball carrying. He's not an elite defender. He's okay one on one. He's he's young. He'll get better, and he's not elite at the other end. But he's good. I mean, kind of in contradiction to what Ben said, he's good between the boxes. So I can't I can't really understand the the strategy there in terms of recruitment but then that's that Spurs' recruitment over the last few years say, right? it's almost like we don't have a plan <laughs> so weird yeah Maybe. yeah either, well either we're just like a wild scattercon approach where we're just allowing agents to recommend us a variety of right backs which yeah. we'll pick from at random by drawing names from a hat or really smartly and intelligently we're going to buy two right backs and we're looking at two very different profiles to have both a defensive and attacking left back and a defensive mm. and attacking right back which one do you reckon it is wow i mean if it's the latter um knowing our luck both of the, the defensive ones will get injured at the same time or both of the attacking <laughs> ones will get injured at the same time that just seems very spurs um Bardi, the other link which is this is much more surprising and i don't know how true these links are but um wingers keep popping up again and again like i'm um, we, we've already discussed ryan fraser in some detail but this week we've had saeed benrama um linked leon bailey of leverkusen even uh, why do we keep getting linked with wingers, Bardi? I don't, I don't know. It just seems that <laughs> I think they need to change their out of office settings. It's like email me, please, if you've got any wingers. I, I don't know. <laughs> Leon Bailey, I, I, Leon Bailey's been around. It seems like he's he should be like thirty four. He's been around for so many years now, and every time I see him, he looks good. But then you 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 hear news about him and he's falling out with people. So I'm not I'm not sure whether it's worth it. I don't know much about the Brentford chap. Um, I, I take your opinion on that. That you reckon he'll be okay for us, but I'm not. I'm not too sure. He's good. He's good. I'm not sure how he translates to a top six side, but I think he translates to a Premier League side very well. Um, and he's he's a good age to make a step up. Uh, I'm not sure he's a Mourinho player though. He's a he's very much like an inverted winger who does most of his good work when he steps inside. I would say. Nathan, you're frowning at me. <laughs> no, I just have a resting bitch face, I think. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Ben Rama is um, so, so good in the championship. He um, He's sort of like the Eden Hazard of the championship. And I feel like like that's incredible to watch and really impressive. But it's like, how well does that scale up if suddenly you're not playing against championship players every week? And like, mm-hmm. how much of the ball are you going to be demanding in order to play your kind of game? So I think they have concerns, but like... He's still a really exciting player. Um, I just don't understand why we're linked with all these like expensive high-end wingers all the time. It doesn't make any sense. At least um, Ryan Fraser has disappeared. At least Ryan Fraser has disappeared. I don't know where he is, but those links seem to have died. Yeah. Yeah. Bless him. Yeah. I mean, the the only reason why we might get linked with a winger is if we get offers for our existing wingers. And... 
I don't know. It seems it seems strange to me. We um, we clearly need to sell players though to drum up some funds. And one player who is being strongly linked with the move away recently is Juan Foyt, who's being linked with Leeds. I think that makes a lot of sense for them as a potential replacement for Ben White in terms of a ball playing centre back in the Bielsa team. That's a really nice fit, I think. Uh, ben, how would you feel about Foyt's leaving Spurs? I mean, is it sorry, is it a loan that we're rumored with, or is it he's gone? No, it's, it's meant to be like a fifty million permanent transfer. That's yeah, I I'm sad. I love Juan Foyt. I think he's a disaster, but he's just a, such a fun disaster that like I just wish he'd gotten the time to work that all out on the pitch. I still believe that he really could have been the defensive midfielder we were looking for uh, in the absence of Dembele and Wanyama. Like. He, putting him in a position where his absolutely insane antics aren't going to give away a penalty. They're just going to give away a free kick in the center circle. Like, I can live with that. Um, but I think, I mean, that's a beautiful marriage between him and Bielsa. And I just am excited to watch it somewhere, uh, even if it's not in Spurs. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think we'll let some other young players go this summer as well. It looks like Luke Amos is being fought between uh, QPR and Middlesbrough are fighting for Luke Amos. I didn't think that would happen after the season he's just had, where he was very in and out for QPR. And I kind of thought they might pass on him. Um, but I'm, I'd be very pleased for him to get a championship move. He's a he's a good player and a really nice guy. Um, I mean, and Sorry, buddy. I was going to say, on, on Foyth, isn't the Foyth transfer, it, maybe it make, doesn't make much sense in terms of the player and his ability and everything else. But in terms of uh, balancing the books and everything else, I think that's a great bit of business. £15 million for a player who's barely featured for us. I think we signed him maybe for just a couple of million pounds. It's a great markup. And yes, it's sad that it hasn't he hasn't turned into like the next Aldevero, but I think it's I think it's a lovely bit of business and I I think and I hope he does really well though. Well the thing is it's it's good business um if you put full faith in Mourinho, isn't it? It's it's not good business if you think what happens after Mourinho because Foyth is potentially like a really good, unusually good ball playing centre back. Um but we have to we have to trust that the club is kind of joined up and listening to what their head coach wants. Nathan, do you have something to add there? No, I think you said it all. I have my head. I, <laughs> a car went past loudly, so I <laughs> covered my microphone. I think is what happened there. Greg, sorry. Um, no, no, no worries. Uh, I think the thing about Foyth, and I, I certainly see what there is to get excited about with him, but of all the players Mourinho is, and I don't know if he jerked him around is even that a thing, because I think he was pretty clear with Foyth, but like Foyth did cost us like, at least two matches for my memory back in December where he like conceded a goal that he shouldn't have or a, a penalty or something. I remember he had a very bad December and there's a level at which I, I don't know, I guess that's what Wendy, you could probably speak to this better than I can, but that's why I always have trouble with young play with players like Foyth, who I think Foyth is sort of getting to the end of that time where you might want to have some patience, that kind of patience with him. But it's, it's like, I see why people like Foyth, but at the same time he keeps making kind of like Ben said, these very costly errors in very dangerous places and uh, like there's a level at which if we can get 15 million for him like okay fine like that that's even regardless of what I think about Mourinho and his direction at the club there's just a level at which you know I think he's very error prone or at least um um you know not as sort of uh I'm, I'm trying to find the right word not as steady as we might want out of a center back 
And it's just getting to the point at which where it's like, okay, when is when do you stop having patience for that? And he's been here for a while, but he also hasn't gotten a lot of minutes with us. So it, that's quite a positional thing, isn't it? I mean, if if he were a right back, I mean, you said yourself that we forgive Aurier for lots of errors or, or, or to a match. I think we said we agreed on earlier, but we can't do that with Foyth because he's playing in the middle of the pitch. And if he makes a, an error, it probably will lead to a goal. Same with a goalkeeper. You know, young goalkeepers get such little rope. Whereas with a right back, perhaps there's a little bit more capacity to be forgiving because they it might you know, they might iron it out with their game. Although not if you're Serge Aurier and you're like 27, still making the same errors <laughs> you made many years ago. Um, Brian, you've been very quiet throughout this. What what do you think of Juan Foyt? Well, I really like Foyt, and I, I think Ben's question initially was was kind of how I feel about it. Is is if this was a loan, and then you're saying, okay, look here, here we go, a year loan to a Premier League club, recently promoted. You're going to play for an Argentine manager who plays, you know, uh, you know, an attractive style of football who loves to use a ball playing center back and and go there and he plays 35 Premier League matches and he looks good and then he comes back to Spurs and then now we're in a position where not, we're not selling him for 15 million we're selling him for 25 or we're keeping him um I I think to me that makes better business sense but 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 I agree in terms of the way our center backs are set up right now um we can kind of afford to part with him and and if Mourinho is not inclined to allow him a little bit of rope and allow him to to play and get a continuous run of matches then there's no point in us keeping him around and then potentially depressing his value to the club or uh, any further so if you've got Dyer, Alderweireld, Sanchez, um, and Tanganga to play center back. You don't need Foyth, and you can let him go play somewhere else. I just kind of wish it was alone with you know us to be able to sell him potentially later. Mm. Let's be let's be real. We've just said Juan Foyth's name more times in the last five minutes than Jose <laughs> probably has in ten months. So <laughs> that's a very <laughs> the way it's breaking too many hearts. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, sure, sure. If he does go, and it seems like he will, um, we're probably going to need another centre back. And it seems like Spurs wants Kim Min Kim Min Jae, but the other player strongly linked this week was Milan Skriniar. Nathan, is that presumably because there's some kind of creative accounting type swap deal planned with Milan for Aurier? Uh, well, they've been poking around in Dombele apparently, which is. Um... Ooh. upsetting but uh i mean yeah if we can trade aurea for a, a top level center half we're laughing but I, I i doubt that's on the table uh i'd be i it's an interesting move for the player as my friend mads pointed out on twitter i don't know why he would want to leave like a milan who are in the ascendancy um for us but um he's a very very good player but it's like do if 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 we like we have had a barrel for at least another year, another two years. Uh, if we like take the idea that Eric Dyer is good Dyer now <laughs> and, and run with that, like, I don't think we need a first 11 centre half. We need a sort of a one point type centre half. I don't, I don't get that. Uh, it's a very confusing link all round. Um, I guess it's just, it's into trying to like put forward an idea re- regardless of how much it makes sense for us. He has been out of favour as well. The last um, the last few weeks or so, he has been dropped from the back three. So they they have they have an asset there which they don't really need. But I think I think Inter we have to wait and see what happens with Conte. He seems to be a little bit unsettled. So I'm not sure. But I don't think Inter's ever been a club where the manager's been really that much in charge of recruitment anyway. So I think we have to wait a couple of weeks on that. Mm. 
Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I think it's also worth having a discussion about how we feel generally about the direction of travel at Spurs as it stands now uh, between the seasons. Um, let's start with Ben. How, how are you feeling about things at the moment? Um, I have kind of made peace with my unhappiness. <laughs> I think this is the only way I can put so it. familiar. <laughs> you know, I think we saw enough down the stretch after after Project Restart um, <laughs> that made me think, okay, this may not be that fun to watch, but it's a it's a clear tactical plan that Jose is trying to do. When it works, we scored like three goals a couple of times. Hey, that's fun. <laughs> uh, you know. By and large, like that could get us through a season, and it may even get us into the Champions League. Uh, it's it's like we're not going to fire him, so you know, I, I at this point, all I can do is just hope that he's found a way to make it work. Uh, because otherwise, I'm not I'm not sure what we're doing. I mean, this is not a hire for the future. I don't see Jose Mourinho as a guy to you know build the foundations for the future greatness of Tottenham Hotspur. It's just a guy to pick up the pieces of what Pochettino left behind and say, can I make this work for long enough to to squeeze something out of it? Some A trophy, a league cup, another Champions League appearance, whatever. Um, and I, I've just accepted that I can live with that. <laughs> that's that's the best I can give you. Bardi, I know you're a lot more positive about Mourinho. How are you feeling about things now? Um, well, I kind of have to be. Just the, the position that the extra inch puts me in with you two. I have, I have to be. The <laughs> I have to be the pivot, the fulcrum between the between the you two. So, um, but no, I know I've I generally, apart from his Manchester, his Man United stint, I've always been okay with Mourinho. Even even his um, poking people in the eye, I've been you know a little bit all right with it. But uh, I think if we make the, we've got a good team, we've got good players. If we make the correct signings in the correct places, I think naturally our team will just start working better and we'll end up with 15, 16, we're maybe 20 points better off. Well, maybe not 20, but at least 15 points better off than this time, uh, than we finished this season, which will put us in the Champions League, which is where the club wants to be. I don't think we're going to win the league. But yeah, as Ben said, we may win the cup and finish top four, which is kind of where we should be. Where are you, Brian? How are you feeling? Uh, I, I'm kind of the same spot as they are, honestly. Um, you know, I mean, look, you know what I hate? I hate like losing football matches. And like the the last, what, from January of 2019 on of Pochettino, that wasn't a lot of fun. I mean, Champions League aside, the, the league performances were not particularly enjoyable. Um, and so like if Jose Mourinho is going to come in and play ugly football and we're going to win matches, I can forgive a lot. Um, and, and I think, you know, look, if you, based on some of the results, um, I think, I think Barty's absolutely right. I think we're going to look at a team that's, you know, looking 15, 20 points better at the end of the season and, and top four, definitely. And I, I think the test for Mourinho will be ultimately like, does he do something in a knockout competition? Um, I think we've talked about on our show that, you know, if you're hiring Jose Mourinho as your manager, you're necessarily taking a very short-termist view of what your team is and what it's capable of. Um, you're not building it for the future. You're not doing something. It's not a project like we had under Pochettino. This is, I have X number of peak age players, and these peak age players are going to have to win something in the next, you know, one, two, three seasons. <clears throat> And, and so if Jose doesn't accomplish that or make significant strides toward that next season, then I think you have to be concerned then. But as we're set up right now, I think it's certainly possible that we make a UEFA Cup run or Europa League, sorry, a Europa League run, uh, a League Cup run, an FA Cup run, something like that. 
and then if we get to the point at the end of the season where we haven't, um, then I'll be a little more concerned about the direction. But for now, it's fine. And Nathan, in terms of the man, uh, is he is he a new man or is he the same old special one? <laughs> well, that's like that's that's like the this that was my answer to this question on the previous episode. Is like, are we going to be playing post lockdown football for two years? Or is that just something he did to get us through it? Um, and then he's going to, you know, attempt to modernise himself as as it was reported he would do when he first joined the club. And I think that the players that we've been linked with, Hoybier, Jelic, Wilson, and then, you know, the rest of our budget on a winger for some reason, um, suggests that it's going to be lockdown football forever, which is, um, which is less positive. <laughs> I, I will end my comment now. <laughs> <laughs> Greg. Well, to be Why fair, uh, uh, if, you're, if we're interested in being fair to Mourinho, which generally we're not on our show, um, but, you know, those positions are the ones that we, regardless of, I think, who the manager was, we really had the most need of sort of a defensive midfielder, fullbacks, um, a backup striker. You know, like, we've got tons of wingers. We've, assuming we don't throw Ndombele out the window, um, you know, we've got a pretty decent set of midfielders if maybe it needs to be a little bolstered. But I think that's actually the interesting thing about Mourinho right now in that, you know, you read his comments after matches and it really by and large seems like the same old Mourinho. But the flip side of that is I do think Mourinho knows he's on. I mean, this is kind of if this doesn't go well for him, I think I don't want to say he's finished in club football, but he is not going to be able to operate at the same level that he did before. He already isn't operating at the same level that he was before. As much as I love Tottenham, they're not. Real Madrid, Manchester United, etc. Um, and my big concern, I mean, listeners to our show will have heard me do this spiel before, but my big concern was always, how's he going to handle transfers? Because Mourinho hasn't had to be clever about transfers since, I don't know, Inter, uh, probably maybe Porto, depending on how you feel about Inter's ability to operate within Serie A. And I always thought that was going to be where he and Levy would really butt heads. And so far, it really seems like, I mean, the only transfer, we talked about this a week or two ago, the only transfer that really has Mourinho's fingerprints all over it is, is um, Yedson. And, you know, that I can at least attribute to some sort of, like, emergency panic buy when Sissoko went down. I mean, all the other transfers feel, feel like Levy buys. We know Bergvine was a Levy buy because Mourinho wasn't, like, you know, he wasn't Mourinho's first choice. So I'm sure he's being consulted. But that's if there's a difference with Mourinho, it's that it seems like he's not... And maybe he's just is understanding where he is in the pecking order right now. Maybe he understands it's COVID summer. I wouldn't have previously thought these are things he would understand. So maybe there is a bit of a change with Mourinho. If there is one, that's where I see it. Fair, very fair. I feel like what all of you are saying is that he's someone who could help us maintain status quo in a sense. While while we've got to transition our squad, perhaps he's the one who can eke something out of this squad and make sure that we remain at least competitive for the top four places. I, I do wonder, though, and I wonder if any of you have thoughts on this, what tier of, of team are we now? I mean, we've built this new stadium, so there should be some some hefty revenue coming in once it gets fill, filled again. But some of our players kind of aren't where they were a couple of years ago. Obviously, Kane doesn't come into that question so much. And now we've seen signs of him getting back to his best, but there were certainly question marks before. We've seen Delhi seemingly deteriorate a little bit. Vertonghen's now left the club. Alderweireld's on the on the downward. So what kind of, what level team are we now? Buddy, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, we're definitely not in the Liverpool-Manchester City kind of group, but I think we're, we're in the mix for the... We're in the mix for the top four. Hugo remains one of the better goalkeepers on the continent. Kane, Kane, if he keeps 
playing how he's playing and stays injury free for six, seven months. He's, you know, he's one of the best strikers in the world. And Dombele has the potential to be one of the best midfielders in the world. So I think, I think we're still there. We're in the second group of um, top teams in Europe, for sure. And Mourinho gives us that little bit of extra kudos as well when, um, when in the global kind of market. So I'm not too down about us. In, I don't think we've slipped. I think big teams can afford to be out of the Champions League for a season. Perhaps maybe not two like Arsenal have done, but like Man United have survived the season out of it. So have Liverpool. Um, just about how we bounce back this season. That seems like a nice positive place to close that section on. Mm. Uh, we have lots of questions from listeners of both the Extra Inch and We Did a Radio. Uh, first up, Willie McQuaid says, "Will Brett Rainbow make an appearance?" Greg, do you want to take this one? Greg, you're muted. Brett is playing a lot of uh, basketball down in Australia. You know, he's a man of mystery. Uh, you know, he writes tactics pieces when it feels like it. He goes to San Diego when he feels like it. It's hard to know when and where Brett will show up. But, you know, he'll be there when you least expect it, I think. Which is to say not today, because I think a lot of people are hoping for him. Next question is from Kyle Kuska. He says, is We Live in the Radio too dangerous for Spotify? Please update on Spotify. I feel like that's a very pointed remark, and I think it's probably Greg's fault. It's definitely Greg's fault. How long have we been asking you to do that? It's a, you know, you know, I live in New York. It's a city that never sleeps. I don't know what you want me to do. Brian. Look, Greg has been locked in his apartment for six months with nothing to do. Where does he want him to find the time <laughs> to email Spotify to get our our stream updated? Look, I told my son to do it for me, and he's you know, my wife said, "Oh, he's only three months old, Greg," and I'm like, "Sounds like an excuse to me." So he's a digital native. He exactly. Be in seconds. Uh, Tyler Medicar says, why must they continue to pronounce Pochettino incorrectly? Is it just to annoy me? I wasn't sure who that was directed at. Was that directed at the Extra Inch or with the Dinner Radio? Nope. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How do we pronounce it wrong? With a, with a, with a hard K, Pochettino. <laughs> Nobody no, has ever said Pochettino in the history of the world. <laughs> no, it's Pochettino. Oh, there it is. It's Pochettino. There you go. There's disagreement. No, I, I, was, I guess I pronounced it wrong then. I do Poch. <laughs> I say poach. Yeah, we say poach. You say poach. <laughs> Not many more, is it? Poach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's. Fair. Whatever. I listened to your guys' show the other day. You can't figure out how to say Jose, so I'm yeah. not. I'm not gonna. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Grumpy tired dad. This could be Greg. Is this Greg's alt account? Uh, it says, <laughs> "Would you rather have Gareth Bale back or self-washing underwear, buddy?" Um, I, I, I'm strangely fully on board Gareth Bale coming back. I don't know where it's. I don't know where this has happened. I think it might be the warm weather. But I just all of a sudden I want Gareth Bale back at Tottenham for no other reason than I just want to. I just want to see Bale look a bit happy. He looks a bit moody. I think we could cheer him up, and I think he could have a great end of his career at Spurs. And I think he's still a fantastic player. He's way too expensive for us. He's way too old. It doesn't make any sense. But part of me wants him back. I just, I just want to welcome him home. I think it would be great to see him back at Spurs. The other obvious benefit of Gareth Bale returning would be no more Lucas Moura. <laughs> so I'm fully, fully on board with that. Uh, Rob Douster, he says, is the cocaine better in South Florida or North London? So I think we need to hand that one over to Brian. What do you think? Uh, I, <laughs> I, I don't know about North London, but I, I assume that we're very close to the supply here in Florida. So I have to imagine it's better here. Fresher. Fresher. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, the expiration date is, is much you know further away than it is by the time we eventually get to England. <laughs> It's like beer. It got to be like beer. It doesn't can't travel well. How how well can a powder travel? You got you got to stay right. close. Especially because you know you've got to wrap it up and then you got to yeah. drop it in the ocean and then somebody has to go out to the ocean and pick it back up and then you, there's just all sorts of processes involved. 
the humidity the from going from humidity to cold it's got to affect the kind of chemical breakdown of it so i, I would say florida i don't Look know about the fruit the, the truth is in the fruit. What they they hide it in the fruit? No, no, no. The quality and size of the fruit is indicative. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised that Nathan's come out with a an analytical comment about the quality of cocaine. The least surprising thing that's happened. Do we have like an X snort something like a statistic we could use to judge it by X lines? <laughs> Uh, Spoken like a man who's clearly done many drugs, Greg. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> just look at me. Fergus McKee, he says, have Spurs turned Giovanni Lo Celso into a Dembele replacement? Very left-footed, carries the ball upfield very well, brings others into play and doesn't often score. What do you think, Nathan? Is he a potential new Moussa Dembele? This is a, a, a back-and-forth conversation I've been having almost for recently because I, I do this sort of depth chart thing where I put players into roles and it becomes this thing where I see Lo Celso as more of a playmaker not necessarily because he's churning out like the creative chances but because he's sort of controlling the tempo and knitting things together um, slightly higher up the pitch and, and progressing the ball into the final third um, whereas others see him yeah more as this sort of carrier from deep um, sort of general midfield operator um, yeah I mean if that's 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 valid interpretation as far as I care Greg um one of the things about Lo Celso at Betis was Setien really used him as sort of a like a Swiss Army knife in attack. Like I mean, because he's such a talented midfielder. And if you want to expand that even further, I know you guys were talking about this very recently. But if you expand that even further back to his time in Paris, you know they were using him as much more of like a central midfielder. And I just think Lo Celso is just an incredibly talented and versatile player. And on some level, I'm sure there are things he's more suited to but on some level with him I think there's just going to be a time where we settle on using him in a certain way and I think that was one of the things I was kind of excited about when we bought him um before uh you know Pochettino am I saying that right um before when we bought him at the beginning of the year was um I was very excited to see like sort of not only what Spurs would do with him but I thought we would settle him into a more defined role not that we wouldn't use him in different areas a little bit but I think there's an element where he does so much so well that it's kind of where do you feel like using him? And I just hope next year we settle into something with him. Because so, I think once he really focuses on on a specific role in the pitch, whatever that is, I think he'll get extremely good at it. Sure. Uh, Mike, who is not the fake bros on Twitter, he says, how do we feel about Tongi at the 10 with Lo Celso and Hjoibier as a midfield two? He has the passing ability, and if he can dance around someone as a 10, he's basically in on goal. Ben, what do you think? You guys hear that? <laughs> I found a nice Colombian woman pronouncing his name. I assume she knows better. Um, it's clearly a Pochettino, not a Pochettino, but that's beside the point. Uh, like, I think you can call, it's a bit like, you know, the Los Elso Dembele questions. You can kind of call him whatever you want. You know, he has the skill set to play so many places in midfield. Um, it's just going to be a matter of whether, you know, is that a 4-3-3 where he's kind of, operating from deep and just getting the ball vertical quickly, or is he taking up positions higher up the pitch and, you know, un unlocking things around the box? I think he can do both. I think Jose historically hasn't had a ton of time for creative number 10s uh, as like a role on the pitch. He just doesn't play a lot of football that's like camped out around the opposition box that requires a guy to pull those strings and, and shift defenses around. And I think if we, when we do find ourselves in situations like that, wherever Ndombele is starting, you know, those midfielders will start, will compress the pitch and, and he'll find himself there and do a job there. But 
I mean, I think you've described his skill set very correctly. He could do so much. Um, I think the important thing is just please, for the love of God, get him on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's basically our most important player other than Kane, I would say. Oh, and Lloris, you'd argue. But um, we, we shouldn't we, we shouldn't look down on, on versatility as a, as a bad thing. I, I quite often hear people say he needs to find his position. And not necessarily about LaCelso, because I don't think that argument's happened quite yet. But I've heard it said many times about other players. Sessegnon's another one where I frequently hear people say he needs to decide in his position. And actually, we celebrate that in other players at other clubs. We celebrate the fact that they can fit in in different in different areas of the pitch and do a, a reasonable job. And that should be a good, I mean, that should be a, a, should be a string to his bow, I think. And he's just, so, he's so good, LaCelso. He, like, he's so underrated already by Spurs fans, I feel. Uh, Brian, this one's for you. Scott Triangular says, is Harry Winks good at football? No. What no. makes you say that? Uh, I don't, I've watched him play football for three seasons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, okay, look, here, here's... Here's my Harry Winks thing. Um, he's better than Ryan Mason, um, which I, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but he's better. Um, but I don't know. It, look, he is Harry Winks is kind of like this very functional guy that we relied on to do about eight different roles under two different managers. Like he was a, he was all of a sudden he was a, a, a progressive passer in a midfield and then he wasn't a progressive passer. Then he was now the holding midfielder for some freaking reason. Um, and then like he evolved from that to now he's like the, the Mark Noble where he just shouts and points um, rather than actually doing defending and midfield stuff. And then now he's kind of just like a very safe player where he makes, you know, 10 yard passes and um, doesn't really do a lot of the progressive stuff. I just, it's kind of one of those things where, like you were talking about finding your position, I, Winks needs to find his role. And like, what is he? Is he a metronomic midfielder that helps you keep possession and keeps things ticking over? Is he an adventurous passer in midfield? He's definitely not a defensive midfielder. Um, but like, what is he? Um, and so I guess when I say he's not good at football, I, what I mean is he's not good enough for Tottenham Hotspur if we are having ambitions to be, you know, a consistent top four team and challenging for trophies. Harry Winks is a great squad player. I don't think we should sell him tomorrow. Um, you know, we're going to play so many games in the next year that we need a player like him who can step in um, and, and, you know, play match and be mostly fine. But I swear if I ever see him in a midfield with Musa Sissoko again, I'll quit. That's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem. And Winks has suffered as much as anyone in terms of us not having a defensive midfielder because I think that would have allowed him to perhaps perhaps evolve into more of an eight than a six. I don't know if he's got the skills necessarily for an eight, but I, I know that he, like you mentioned, he hasn't got the defensive skills. That's for sure. What he, what I think he's he's good at is the the um, ball progression from deep. I think he's good at keeping things moving at the base of the midfield and using passing the ball sensibly. The problem is that he's really not good when the opposition have the ball, and that's been his problem for many, many, many years now. It's it's something I think Pochettino tried to coach into him. Um, I noticed there was a brief period where he was like looking over his shoulder a lot more and being generally more aware of what's going on around him but he, the amount of times that he does not track his man uh, back towards our box still is, is problematic 
But I do think you underrate him a little, Brian. Bardi, what do you think of, of Winks? I think I think a lot of Winks' problems are Mr. Soko. I think with Hoiberg there, I think we might see a different Winks. Um, I don't think he'll ever start and I don't think he'll ever like change change a game or make us win something. But he remains a decent squad player who um, who I hope we keep. But yeah, he shouldn't be starting matches. Not not with um, Hoiberg, Lo Celso and Ndombele in front of him. And Ben, where are you and Harry Winks? You know, I think, and this is maybe a bit of fan fiction, uh, but, you know, the way you described, you know, his his struggles out of possession and, and Pochettino's coaching efforts with him, the Harry Winks I remember in, you know, I obviously don't watch the youth like you do, uh, but I remember him being a much more adventurous guy with the ball, much more willing to take chances. And I think, and again, this is where the fan fiction comes in. I think it's part of like recognizing that he is not quite suited to playing out of possession. He has made his game very safe so as not to lose the ball. So he doesn't have to play out of possession very often. Um, and especially because we paired him with guys like Suzuko, you know, that's very, very important. Um, and now that we're finally possibly giving him the opportunity to play with a guy like Hoiberg who can clean up behind him if he makes a mistake, he has the opportunity to rediscover that side of his game. You know, sometimes he like, he'll drop a shoulder and run past a guy and you're like, oh my God, Winks, do that, do that more. Uh, and I think that's what you're going to need out of a midfielder in a, in a Jose Mourinho counterattacking midfield. And I would love for Winks to be a guy who can do that as a squad player or whatever. Um, I just I just want that to happen for him. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. I think also, as much as I, I thoroughly agree with Brian that Winks and Sissoko as a midfield combination is horrible in every way, I do think under Mourinho, it's a lot less problematic than it was under Pochettino. Nathan, what do you think? Well, yeah, because essentially both players have the job to stand in between the defence and the attack. And that's that's basically... You can get that down, I reckon. That's that's fairly simple. Rather than like having lots of space to worry about behind them and needing to close players down fast and needing to progress the ball and maintain possession, um, you just sort of hang out. So, you know, if Sissoko is running lots and Winks is passing lots, who is flying the plane? <laughs> Well, it's always great when you can use two players to do the job that one player can yes. do. <laughs> Indeed. And that's that's the problem, isn't it? That's exactly what we hope Hoybier will fix. Uh, speaking of which, Peter Boyce emailed in. He says, does the seemingly imminent purchase of Hoybier and potential change at right back from Oreo to someone more defensive mean that Spurs will finally change their attacking plan from the air raid offence to playing through the midfield and making better use of what seems a bevy of talented midfield players, Lo Celso, Hoybier and fingers crossed and Dombele. Greg, do you have any faith that this will happen under Mourinho? I mean... I hope, but we, we know Mourinho doesn't, like Ben said it earlier, he doesn't care about what happens between the two boxes, and it's it's not what I would like to see. I, I don't know how he's going to use it. I think what I'm interested to see with Mourinho, especially because he seems to have gotten with the program, or at least understood what the program is on the transfer market, is I, what I would like to see out of him, which I have no reason to believe I will, is I have certain limitations as the coach of Tottenham Hotspur, especially during this pandemic when the transfer market's just completely crazy and we're not making any money off our new stadium. I would like to see him adapt to, like, these are the players you have, they're really good, these are the realities, and let's get out of the air raid. I think it's going to be modified, but, you know, Mourinho's never cared about what happens between us two you know uh between the two boxes and he seems to use the midfield more just to like screw up what the other team's trying to do which <laughs> admittedly will be a progression from what we had been seeing um where the midfield was just totally invisible but uh, i'm not 
I don't have a ton of faith that we're going to see that. Or it screwed up what we were trying to do. Yes, which, yes. Which well, so it was like doing that effectively, yeah. Nathan, um, could you briefly describe what the air raid offense refers to? Well, I, I, I disagree with the question because we haven't, we haven't done it in a while. It was, it was, um, it was a thing we did for a while when. Uh, who was flying the plane because Wings and Sissoko were a midfield. But we still had like the star-studded attack of Kane, Delhi, Ericsson, Son. Um, and if you can't work the ball up to them in a controlled manner, you can just sort of smash the ball up towards their the opposition centre-halves and then work out what you do with that after and just keep attacking wildly and recklessly and, and winning games 6-3. Um, and it was it was how we um, got our way to the Champions League final. And it's how we didn't completely fall out of the top six at the end of the 18-19 season. But it's it's not something we see a lot. We do we get a little little samples of it here and there, but it's um it's not really it's not really a thing so much anymore under Mourinho. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hardy, I think this one's for you. Uh, Matt Epstein says, which Spurs player took a run at Mourinho's daughter to end up not getting minutes? Well, perhaps um, perhaps Vertonghen uh, again. So um, he went, he forced Ericsson out and then maybe that's the reason why he didn't get his contract renewed because <laughs> after Ericsson moved to Milan, he started turning his attentions elsewhere. That's why he didn't get on in the final game. Mourinho's exactly. daughter was on the, on the stands. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "No, you're absolutely not having a moment in the sun. I'm yeah. going to bring and on David Sanchez instead." And um, also, perhaps why um, Jose started using social media a little bit more. He's kind of keeping an eye on what's going on in his daughter's uh, Snapchat and Insta. There's serious legs to this. This is this is the beginning of a new conspiracy theory, and I'm here for it. Uh, <laughs> Mickey Bobin says, "If I were to bet ten dollars on Tottenham to win one nil every game next season, would I be up by the end or down? What do you think, Greg?" Up. <laughs> Get out of here! You'd be way down. We're gonna keep that many clean sheets. <laughs> if you bet on two one, you might be up, but one nil, no way. This is why sports betting should be illegal in England. This is a terrible bet. You will lose your house, your children's education funds. Like, just you're just gonna go completely bankrupt. Don't, please don't bet this. Betting this bet three six five sponsorship for Wheel of the Radio. Don't mess it up for me. <laughs> I, I actually looked it up, and in Jose's last two title winning seasons for Chelsea, he had four and five one nil victories in the league. So you would be down the other thirty three games. Congratulations. <laughs> wow. Um. Yeah. That's that's quite surprising. 
actually. I, I kind of feel like he would like to grind out more one nils, but perhaps not. Uh, Figo or Figo, he says, in a couple of years, what are we going to look back on and regret more? Brexit or <laughs> selling Kyle Walker pieces? Nathan, which are you going to regret more? Uh, we aren't going to remember the before times in a couple of years. That's before, prior point. to the events, we will have no history or memory or details or memories. We will only remember the event. And Kyle Walker uh, And also Kyle Walker pieces. Yeah. I mean, I'll never forget him. I'll never forget him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but you're 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 100 right. Uh, I'm intrigued by this one. So THSC Death Cult, who is Keith right Michael, he, he says, get them to share your story for the UK fans on getting blocked by Tom Carroll. Oh hell yeah! So who wants to Greg, tell that story? I, I Would you like it. to tell I'm how you embarrassed our site? Um, it was yeah. So we uh, are you know linked with Carl Precat in the SB Nation Tottenham blog, and we used to all write for them once upon a time. So my first article, it was one of two articles that did this. My first article that I ever write for, for the site when they made me a writer was a long and what I thought was fairly ridiculous piece about uh, to- Tom Carroll's uh, relationship with Panamanian drug lords and how he drank a handle of vodka before every match <laughs> and how he would slap Brad, Brad Fiedel around during halftime. It was uh, Ben contributed some very nice bits about uh, how he had a full body tattoo under his jersey uh, with guns and money on it. Um, I thought it was a fairly ridiculous piece, but within when we sold him to Swansea a few years later, I remember someone shared with me a post on the Swansea Reddit. Someone was like, yeah, I hear Tom Carroll has a problem with cocaine. Does anyone <laughs> know what this is? And my article will get linked occasionally, but like years later um, on Swansea Reddits and on Spurs Reddits. So that had a life of its own. So it was either that or a year or two later, I wrote, I decided because I was bored going to my wife's family's place for Christmas, I decided to rewrite A Christmas Carol as A Christmas Tom Carol, where um, I retold the t- story of A Christmas Carol uh, around Daniel Levy being visited by the three spirits of Tottenham's past. Chirpy was, of course, the ghost of Tottenham future. But I also had um, Tom Carol as Tiny Tim in this, Tiny Tom, obviously. And, uh, the guy who designed our logo for the podcast, which is the like uh, communist like propaganda with Chirpy's head on it, um, he did some nice photoshops on that from the Alistair Sim Christmas Carol from the fifties of uh, Daniel Levy as Scrooge holding Tom Carroll as Tiny Tim. <laughs> one of those got us blocked by Tom Carroll. I don't know which, but one of them got us blocked by Tom Carroll. So uh, it was definitely one of those two things, and it's all my fault. So. And then Greg met him in person, and oh yeah. Man- and wasn't man enough to ask him to sign a uh, copy of it was the, one of those articles. It was Pochito's first preseason. <laughs> well, to my defense, someone suggested it hadn't occurred to me, and someone suggested to me after we left the house we were staying in. But yes, I do have we Ben and I have a very uh, goofy picture with Tom Carroll where I was a huge coward and didn't show him that because I'm pretty sure. It's weird to know that I've probably written something that his teammates have used to bust his balls, which I'm reasonably <laughs> certain has happened. Uh, no one's told me that. I just it's on the internet enough where I'm pretty convinced that happened. So, um, yes, that is the story like, of how we got Tom Carroll to block us. I feel like Tom Carroll was always way too busy playing golf to actually ever look on Twitter. So you you'll probably like you should have been safe. It should have it should have been fine. Is he Welsh? I didn't know. I didn't know if he. <laughs> So we have a bunch of questions about left backs. 
Um, I definitely think we need to come to Ben for some of this, as I know he's a, such a huge fan of our current left back. Uh, Doug L, who is DDL1882 on Twitter, he says, no rumours involving left backs over this window. Do you see Danny Rose seeing out the last year of his contract as our backup to Ben Davis? Ben, what do you think? Nathan, could you queue up your Troy Deeney video? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, in a word, uh, no. I would love to. I, I love Danny Rose. He's one of my favorite players ever. Um, but no. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good point, though, that we definitely need another left back. And we seem very not interested in signing one. Um, the rumors lately are that Sessegnon is not going to be leaving us. Um, and so I don't know if that's that's true or, you know, this bullshit can change from day to day. Um, but between Sessegnon and, and the Dennis Serkin, who I don't know anything about, um, it seems like we have two young left backs who could be very good and we might believe in. Um, and if that's the plan, I can live with it as long as we do business on the right. But I just have no sense of what our plan is. So Corey wrote to say that we the two podcasts have quite differing views on Sessegnon. And I suspect it's that we're way more up on him than you guys are. Um, Brian, are you not a big Sessegnon believer? I don't know that I would say that I'm not a Sessegnon believer, but I just don't know that I've ever seen anything from him as a left back that made me stop and go, ah, oh, yeah, this is the guy, this is the future, um, you know, this is our answer at the position. Like, his time at Fulham, he was okay, I thought, and then, but I thought that some of his better performances came when they played him as a more attacking winger. Um, and, and, you know, if you looked at some of his numbers in the championship, I thought, if I recall correctly, that, that they popped more sort of on the attacking side with the chances he was creating, you know, with expected assists and, and that sort of stuff than any of the defensive things he was doing. Um, so I think Sessegnon, like as a player, is an interesting prospect. And, and, and but I don't know that he necessarily fits in how we want to use our fullbacks, especially if we don't have a more defensive option on the right side. Yeah, I agree. Nathan, is that where you are at the moment? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Sesson Young, but like that's that's sort of that's the situation, isn't it? Um, he's not going to get a game time when we're playing the Ben Davies role. Well, what's interesting is that Mourinho now seems to really like Serkin a lot more at left back than Sessegnon from all we're reading. And I think that would be down to the fact that Serkin is is naturally way more of a defender than Sessegnon is. So you, you kind of have to add the attacking elements to Serkin's game, whereas Sessegnon, perhaps you have to add the defensive elements, which is perhaps harder and less suited to, to what Mourinho wants to do, crucially. Uh, ultimately, they're both really good young players. Like, they are amongst the best in their age groups in the country. They've represented England at every age level going and still continue to do so. They're both really, really good. And I now, I think if we're kind of putting them in direct competition, it's um, it's not going to work out well for one of them. So the, the idea of loaning one of them is, is something I would be all for. Uh, I suspect it's more likely at this point to be Sessegnon than um, Serkin. But if, if, if what Ben says is correct and we've now decided we're going to stick with Sess, then, then maybe he gets some games further up the pitch. Maybe that's the, the way to kind of bed him in. Because certainly what we've seen so far is a player way more timid and low in confidence than what we saw at Fulham, particularly in the promotion season where he was just, I mean, he was exceptional. If, if you've you- not seen the, the highlights of um, Sessegnon's uh, season where he won 
player of the year in the championship, you should watch them because he's brilliant. How do you feel about uh, the potential loan link to Ajax? Yeah, that was really interesting. I I mean, if they're willing to give him a season of playing left back, then I'm all for that. I think that would be I think that'd be great. Uh, he just needs to get his confidence back. Ultimately, he looks he looks like he's so short of that self-belief that he had for Fulham and building him back up mentally is as, as much the battle as anything, I think, at this point. Okay, so Jonathan Croy, cheese surfer, he says, does an amazing attack cover a poor defence or amazing defence cover for our poor attack? In America, we have a saying that defence wins championships. Does that apply in the Premier League? Bardi, you being Italian, uh, might have views on this. I mean, I, I think we've seen this season that with um, to win the Premier League, teams have almost got to do flawless seasons. So um, I don't think you can cover a porous defence with a good attack. Man City aren't able to do that. Um, Liverpool were able to merge the two together and, and that's why they, they walked the league. Um, for Tottenham finishing the top four, perhaps we can get away with it a little bit more, but then you're not going to be winning any big trophies. So, yeah, I, I, in football, you have to find a balance. We always talk about balance. There has to be a balance in Tottenham for us to do anything worth getting excited about. Otherwise, if we've just got a great attack, but we're letting in goals, we're just going to finish nowhere. We're going to finish kind of where we finished this season. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so next question is from Ramnarayanan. He says, with Huybier deal almost done, what should be our next priority, a right back or a backup striker or any other position? Um, ben, what do you think? What's the second priority after defensive midfielder? Yeah, I think we've kind of been around this one a lot uh, on this pod, but any fullback, whatever whatever side <laughs> it is, someone who is just going to do that job and do it at like an elite level is is our next buy. Got to be Daniel Platt, the legend that is Daniel Platt, who's Voodoo Chopsticks on Twitter. He says, which Premier League team has the worst fans in the U.S.? What do you think? Can we come to a consensus between the three? Of I'll you? answer that. Spurs <laughs> fans. No. Oi. No. no. Oh. <laughs> it's Liverpool fans. It's it's uh, it's it's Liverpool fans. They are, and I, I can't even speak to what Liverpool fans are like in the UK. Maybe it's similar to this. Maybe you guys disagree with me, fellow Americans. Um, but I have found for for those who have any kind of uh, knowledge of American sports, Liverpool fans in America at least are this weird combination of Yankee fans who are the most most sort of in America, they're they're like Real Madrid. They're the, they're associated with winning, like and there's a combination of them and Red Sox fans. And Red the Red Sox also win a lot, but they also, being from Boston, have a massive sort of victimization complex would be the best way to put it. And they somehow in America at least combine these things and also do this sort of obnoxious cosplay of being from Liverpool in a way that very frequently has no. T- it's not like their family's from there or they live there for a while. But you know, I've seen a Liverpool fan start ranting to me about margaret thatcher and while i'm always here for margaret thatcher slander it's a very like weird fam and that is probably not representative of liverpool fans as a whole in america but they are very obnoxious and at least for an Amer- as an american they have a lot of echoes of similarly obnoxious fan bases in america notre dame would be another one um, until liverpool got good again <laughs> but, but sorry i realize it's all gibberish to you guys so liverpool fan, but at least if, if an american fan supports liverpool i can i can kind of get my head around it because liverpool have a history and everything else surely like american manchester city fans must be worse because they've literally just gone for the team with the most money and pep guardiola i don't think there's that many i mean they exist yeah. 
but like you know, they're a they're they're not that many of them. I mean, Ben, you were you went to that Nashville friendly a few years ago, so you probably interacted with more American city fans than the rest of us. But like, and frankly, they kind of have adopted that sort of Eeyore mentality of like the city fan, you know, at least that I see in England. I mean, it's it's mm. just the real front run. I mean, the Chelsea fans are kind of I think at least a few years ago, like Chelsea fans had that vibe that you're talking about, and in some ways you kind of respect it because the whole Chelsea fan base thing is they're just being dicks about being nouveau riche and. <laughs> Like, it's awful, but, like, on a certain level, you respect it. Um, ben, I mean, what was your experience with City fans? Yeah, I think the thing about City fans is it's Chelsea already did it, you know? Anybody who's going to be a front-running bandwagon fan because of a team with money, like, that's where you went. And then City fans, I think it's probably the same in the U.K., is they're just, like, they have no illusions about who they are. They don't apologize for it. They're not assholes about it. They're just like, I, yep, we're here, and we're going to win, and everybody's fun. And it's just, it's it's not mean-spirited. It's not... You know, like Chelsea fans, I think, imagine a whole, like, they take this, like, we ain't got no history kind of mentality and, like, do a whole thing about it and, like, pretend like they are they used to be a bigger deal than they were, but also it doesn't matter because now they're the big deal now. And it was just, it was insufferable when Chelsea fans sort of, like, came on the block um, mm. in, you know, early 2000s. The City fans, fans are harmless. Arsenal fans uh, of a certain age in America are very obnoxious because I think when like Wenger was sort of at his peak in the early 2000s, so you had both like Arsenal was a very hipster sort of hot team to jump on, and also soccer was still a very hipster thing in America. It was it was much harder to watch than it is now. So there was a certain Brooklyn hipster. I have a tattoo of a fork on my forearm and a long <laughs> beard, and like so Arsenal fans of a certain vintage are very irritating in America, but they have also been downtrodden by the last several years so they're not nearly they don't chirp up quite as much as they used to i mean the reality is is anybody who's going to be a, a premier league football fan three thousand miles away is a bit of a hipster douchebag yes, like yes yes it's just describes <laughs> all of us included yeah like let's not have any illusions about that and i think the other thing is is because of that, nobody is really excited about jumping on the bandwagon because that's not like the hipster thing to do. You know, you're not going to pick Man City. You're not going to pick Man U when they were at their peak. You're going to pick a team like Arsenal or Spurs. And so we are fast rising up the ranks of completely insufferable yes. douchebag fans because it's a very attractive team, right? It's like it's a team that's not quite good enough that you're like going to be accused of, of front running to become a fan of them. But you can still dream that like things are going to get better. And, you know, as someone who's been doing this for 15 years, it won't. But, you know, it's so we're now the place that Arsenal and Liverpool, I think, used to be where you're attracting the most hipster, the most douchebag kind of fan and i think we should probably take a long look at ourselves <laughs> I, I went to uh there's a bar in new york a spurs bar in new york it's actually quite good it's called flannery's i hope they're still open when all this covid stuff is over anyway it's a massive space it is a gigantic space and the only time i've ever seen it close to approaching fulls if you go there for like a north london derby or something like that and i went there for the first match of this season the game again i think it was villa um the first match of the year it was wall-to-wall people it was i mean this is a huge space so like i would say probably 200 maybe 150 i'm not sure but it was wall-to-wall people in a way that shocked me because it was a very you know spurs fandom was a lot more niche when i sort of jumped on the bandwagon many years ago so uh it is definitely growing in america and i'm sure that we are attracted to the kind of fans ben is talking about so you're saying there's going to be a whole new generation of wolves fans happening right now they're yep. looking at the league tables. Spurs are too old-fashioned. Leicester fans, Leeds They're, fans. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, Leeds. I'm, I mean, I'm one of them. Adama Traore, hello. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, the the thing that's most annoying about American sport, uh, American Premier League fans that Greg hit on is when they do try to like co-opt and cosplay into like the history of the club, and it's like, and you know, what you see this more people that are like Barcelona fans that want to talk to you about you know Cruyff's legacy, and you're like, shut up, or you Franco. don't know, <laughs> you, yeah. You know, it's just like so. So I am much less bothered by the city fans of the world, the the Chelsea fans of the world, because they at least seem to be like, yeah, we spend a bunch of money and buy really good players. What are you gonna do about it? It's like, yeah, <laughs> all right. Difficult to argue with that, right? Yeah. To end, Derek Chad says, which member of Spurs is most likely to start an anti-Jose mutiny next season, and why is it Danny Rose? <laughs> Anyone got any thoughts on who's gonna start the mutiny? I've got a funny feeling that um, you've been watching everybody, all the players' Instagram accounts. Why is Delhi not on holiday with Dyer? What's going on there? I think... I had like, thought of that. He's not getting got... another Avengers tattoo, obviously. <laughs> There's that, that whole little crew. I mean, even Foyf is there. I mean, where's Delhi? Delhi's not there. Delhi's on holiday with Madison. Perhaps it might be... Um, perhaps Delhi might be trying to start something. And uh, that's the reason why say, they distance themselves. I've been really enjoying the, the holiday snaps this year. Uh, Dyer, Lamella and Lacelso went on what looked like the most idyllic boat ride. And were, like, Sanchez as well. Yeah, Sanchez was, there as well. Davison yeah. had like the MVP like Oh, I saw him in the group shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Okay, cool. But this this boat trip looks amazing. They had the, the photos of the sunsets and everything, and then they had the photos of like the fish that they'd caught and then cooked. And it looked so perfect. And Dyer was just enjoying Lacelso's company, and uh, that made me happy. That made me very happy. Uh, Nathan, what do you think? Who's going to begin the mutiny? You know, I'm 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 all in on on Vardy's daddy theory. I think special player, history of uh, misbehavior. Um, asked about if he was his brother and then and then shunted out the team he's he's got the like like obviously Ndombele is gonna be frustrated um you know but Delhi's got the the sway he's got the power and the character and the the brazenness so mm. Delhi's Delhi's the one good shout buddy I mean I don't think it'll be successful I don't think he's got the change of room I think he needs to really work on his alliances over the next couple of months because if um Dyer and Nemlot have made a splinter group he's not he's not going to swing them back and I think he he'll, he'll need to get some bodies on board perhaps Alderweireld perhaps Hugo but then Hugo's not going to He's not going to do anything, really. He's not very confrontational. Well, actually, he is quite confrontational. He, <laughs> well, he stood up to the weakest person in the team. But, yeah. <laughs> a bully, that's what you're saying. Yeah, he, well, he's a bully. But he, I, don't think, I don't think Hugo put his neck on the line either. So I think Delhi will try it, but I don't think he's going to get any traction. I think it's really going to come down to who comes off the worst in the Amazon documentary. Like who, when we're doing, when we're watching the Amazon documentary, who comes off as being the biggest asshole? And then that person is going to be upset by the directorial choices that the Amazon made and that Spurs allowed him to be portrayed as the villain. And then he'll just embrace the villainy. Um, and I think maybe so Delhi. Delhi. Yeah, <laughs> I think Delhi is most likely to be that person. Um, but you know, because I mean, it's not going to be Lucas Mora because we saw the clips going around the other day of him being like a nice guy and meeting a young Brazilian Spurs fan and talking about um, very emotionally about how that's you know what he kind of lives for is making people Sharing happy. Sharing stories like that. about how Bolsonaro is rejuvenating their country. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Only in the DMs. Only in the DMs. 
So, so yeah, it's, it's got to be Delhi. I mean, he's the only one that has, like, enough, like, spite in him, I think, to really handle it. I don't know. He seemed like such a sweetheart in the in the one clip that's been released of him so far, where he's describing that it's, like, one big happy family. It almost mm. brought a tear to my that's, eye. That's he, the he... setup, though. That's the, and then. <laughs> yeah, that's where that's where they cut forward to, like, November or whatever, and then, like, push, you know, sacked, and then crying, yeah. You don't grow an evil Waluigi yeah. mustache yeah, if it. you're planning <laughs> on being, like, the good guy in the situation. <laughs> Waluigi <laughs> is here to stay. He 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 carries that mustache off really well. I think. Oh, at first, I wasn't sure, all. but it's growing on me a lot. No. Oh, I like it. You're just saying that because it's only slightly worse than your facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Very... I, I do like the idea. I don't think it's going to happen, but I do like the idea of Danny running an insurgency from like Newcastle. Like you know, he's like broadcasting like on Radio Free Tottenham or something. You know, undermining the club through group texts. Like you know, there's a certain romance to that that I could appreciate. Uh, but I think Danny's going to be too happy about finding a uh, chip shops that he prefers that he, he'll be too he'll be too pleased to be out of here to run an insurgency right guys i think we're going to wrap it up there this has been lots of fun really, yeah, really thank you it. i think we need to kind of advertise our uh, podcasts because some people will be listening to this on the radio feed and some people will be listening on the extra inch feed so um do you want to say first greg where people can can listen to the pod and, and find you guys on twitter not on sure. spotify we can't be found on spotify <laughs> <laughs> well, just no new episodes until i think pochettino was still good when we they stopped updating us um, i will try to fix that you can find us on itunes um we're very lazy so we're on itunes just do a search for wheel of dealer radio you'll uh, find us it's the one that it, it looks like a statue of lenin but it has chirpy's face on it uh, it's hard to miss um yeah we're there uh you can find me at skipjack0079 on twitter uh you'll find new episodes from me on there uh ben where can people find you real quick uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Uspurs. And Brian, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Brett Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have been the same without a Brett Rainbow reference at the end. And you can find uh, the Extra Inch on, like like Greg said, on iTunes or any podcast platform. We also have a Twitter account, The Extra Inch, and a Facebook at The Extra Inch. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D. Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.